So we are continuing our series in Luke chapter 7, and um, uh, this, is a, um, this, is, this is an interesting um, passage as we get into it. We'll, we'll see that, but if, if you would stand for um, the reading of God's words in Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than than a prophet, this is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the, the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, We played the lute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come seeking, I'm sorry, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Please be seated. So the first part of this is is the the part that's really interesting. Um, so uh, just as a, a little bit of background, we remember this is prior to this point um, in Luke chapter three and other passages. John the Baptist, and by the way, I I, I think I think I can't remember what I called this a call to to um, belief or something like that. I almost want to change it. What can we learn from a Baptist? Um, 
think it's a good passage title for this, but uh, John had been in prison because he had spoken out against uh, Herod, um, not the King Herod that was alive in Jesus' day, but another Herod who had married uh, Herodias, who was his brother's wife, and it was a it was it was an adulterous um, relationship against the law, and so he was imprisoned. And you'll you'll learn later. We'll learn later that John essentially becomes um, is beheaded after um, uh, Herodias' daughter dances before them. But in this case. Uh, right before this, if you remember what immediately precedes this, we have the faith of the centurion and then the man who is raised from the dead, um, the widow's son. And so then two of John's disciples are sent by John to ask Jesus, are you the one to come or shall we wait for another? Now, uh, the real question here is that, is John sending the disciples there because he himself is doubting? Or is John sending his disciples because he's trying to strengthen them? You see, the passage doesn't actually say, this is one of the interesting things, is that sometimes in the scriptures we can kind of almost become sure of what the passage is actually communicating, and yet it never really says that. It's sort of like, um, people are sure that, that in the resurrection it says, and then Jesus was among them, and so we say, well, he must have had a body that could pass through walls. But that actually doesn't, the text never really says that Jesus then beamed into the room. It just says he was among them. And so we kind of read into a lot of things sometimes. And so just be careful about people who have really firm ideas about these. Now, the important part of this passage isn't necessarily... Um, whether it was John who was wavering in faith or the disciples who, John's disciples who are wavering in faith. I do want to point out that if it is John that is wavering in faith, that's okay. Our faith isn't destroyed by the idea that there was somebody in his life who had, who stumbled, right? Who, who, who had, um, who, who struggled at the point of, of great trial and tribulation to go to, Christ and say, what's going on? Um, And John sending uh, his disciples to Jesus is not something that shakes our faith as if what we understand a Christian to be is somebody who is accepted by God because he's stalwart. He never never wavers. He never falls. He never has any problems in his life. And therefore, God says at the end, okay, you never you never um, uh, you never took any steps back. Therefore, you are my disciple. So we can understand it in that way. It wouldn't shipwreck anything if we did. But it's also important to remember, too, that if it's John's disciples, then the same message is to them, right? Because maybe it's John's disciples himself who are seeing in this um, idea of the one to come is this, uh, this, this expectation of the, that the, the Messiah is not only going to bring the kinds of things that Jesus is bringing, but also judgment, right? There's, there's this, um, it's been used before, but I just want to remember, remind people to those who have heard it before or those who have heard it for the first time. If, you have, if you've ever looked at a mountain range from a distance, it looks like one mountain 
and you keep walking. And sometimes if you've ever been on something that's really big, it seems like it's really close. And then you start walking towards it and you realize it takes forever to get there. Even if you're driving towards it, it takes a really long time. But when you get to the mountain range, you suddenly realize you saw a mountain, but it's like really like distant. Another person who, um, another analogy that people said was, was um, Dr. Um, Dr. Who's uh, TARDIS. See, I knew I'd get James' attention at that point. I look for opportunities to bring people into these sermons. But anyway, it's really tiny on the outside. I think that's, it's like a red phone booth on the outside or something like that. And it's blue. Thank you. See, I knew I'd get, see, I just need to say things that are incorrect. But it's really tiny, but then you get in and it's gigantic on the inside. It's like, hey, the kingdom of God is bigger than it looks from the outside. And so when you're looking at the um, coming of Christ from the Old Testament and you're looking at it from a distance, you see all this stuff smooshed together. You see all the things that are the expectations of what the new covenant is. The lion will lay down with the lamb, that um, the son of God will come with um, healing as well as vengeance. The lion not only is a comfort to those who are near him, but also is going to devour those who are his enemies. And so um, there's, there's, this, um, there's this really, uh, that's part of the problem that Christ had when he was um, preaching is that there was this, misapprehension or misunderstanding of what his ministry was because people kind of thought it was all going to happen at once, right? And so why is, this is part of the reason why you wonder why, why is Jesus always telling people not to say anything about what he's doing? Why is he keeping it such a secret that he's the Messiah? In fact, he's like, don't tell anybody I did that. And then they go tell him. It's like, are you, were you listening? And it's almost, you're wondering, was it on, te- on purpose? But you see that Jesus is trying to make sure that he's able to fulfill all the things that he needs to fulfill because his m- mission, in fact, is at the very end, he kind of picks, picks a fight at the very end to make sure that he's going to be crucified according to the, um, the scriptures because that's what he came to do. He wasn't, he didn't... Um, he wasn't unwillingly uh, sacrificed. He was, he was the willing sacrifice. He did everything for this. But in this case, there is a sense in which um, John's disciples are sent to ask, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? And what Jesus does is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, yes, I'm the one to come. He, he tells them, look, what do you see? He says, the blind... The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are returned. So all of these expectations that are in Isaiah chapter 31 of what the Messiah will bring, or is it 35? I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. It's, it's Isaiah uh, speaks of the coming Messiah. Now there's these other parts, but Jesus is saying, look around you, what do you see? The signs of the Messiah. So he turns to scripture as to what the expectation of Christ is supposed to be rather than what our expectation is. And he makes sure to understand, to, to, um, to communicate this to John's disciples so that they, they might return to him. Now, maybe they go back to them and John's like, you're right, this is what the scriptures say, and he's comforted. Or maybe John says, see, well, what do you think? Oh, he's the Messiah. That's right. So when I die, you go follow him. So when I die, this isn't the end. You don't need to feel like this is the the end of all things. Now, the reason I prefer the understanding that John's the one comforting them is basically 
the, the way that, that Jesus continues the story, okay? Because he, it'd be kind of weird in one sense for, for John to say, blessed is the one who's not offended by me, and then go over on, into this whole thing. Now, he could, he, he could again be commending John, but this, the whole point of this, just to make sure you know, uh, is, is not to psychologically analyze doubt and all these other things and to dwell on John a lot. Um, one way or the other, John is confirmed or his disciples are confirmed, but the point is, is that Jesus uses the scriptures to point to him to himself, and the point of all of this is for John and his disciples to have confidence in him till the end. And so it continues then on where, where Christ commends John, and he says, when John messengers had gone, Jesus uh, began to speak to the crowd concerning John, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is of him of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your, your face who will prepare your way before you. Um, now, the, and it ends with the, the, the fact that he's the greatest of all the disciples, uh, I'm sorry, of all the, uh, the prophets, and the fact that those who were in the kingdom are greater than he. Uh, now, what Christ is reminding them is, hey, when you were going out to, to John, was it because you were going out to see somebody who was living in luxury, right? Uh, a man dressed in, in fine clothing, in, in some ways, the, the term is kind of a soft man, kind of an, an effeminate man, uh, somebody who's kind of like, you know, I don't know. Um, well, I, can't, I don't want to use any analogies that might cause offense, but the point, you guys get the picture. You, did you go out to the wilderness to find somebody who's like luxurious with all these great clothes on and everything else? They're like, no, that's kind of weird. Like John is the opposite of that. Remember, he was wearing goat's hair and his food was like locusts and wild honey, which is kind of gross to think about, but I don't know. I've never had locusts. I heard they're actually kind of okay if you cook them the right way, as gross as that might sound. But... Um, uh, probably tastes like chicken, but uh, the the um, the whole point is no. He he was he was not one shaken by the wind. He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He was resolute. He wasn't somebody who was who was really soft and 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 you went to because you're like you know what that man is going to make me feel good about myself. You know, like one of those really smiling people whose teeth are like way too big for their face and just smile all the time and ha- all their teeth are straight and everything. And, um, and you're like, man, I want to be around him because he just, he's just such a nice guy. Uh, John, was, John was a hard man. He was, he was, he was resolute. He had, he had been um, uh, chosen out from birth to be the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus quotes the only Italian prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. Sorry, kids, that's not really true. It's Malachi, it's Jewish, but that's a funny joke, no matter where you're from. But um, he's, he's, um, he's the last, well, he's technically not the last prophet in the Old Testament, except the way that we organize things, because we organize it probably more chronologically. So chronologically, he's the last prophet, but in the, in the way that the... the 
Jewish scriptures are organized. Um, believe it or not, our book of Second Chronicles is at the end of their writings, but that's that's a separate issue. Um, but the point is, is that he he prophesies of the one who is of the person who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And you may recall from other passages of scripture where they ask him, "Are you Elijah?" And he says, "No, I'm not Elijah." But then Jesus actually points out that he's of the spirit of Elijah, that he is the one prophesied in Malachi who will prepare the way of the Lord. And John is understood to be this. And then Christ commends and says, of those born of woman, there is none greater than John. So uh, you may have heard me say this before, but one of the one one of the ways you can stump somebody if you if they in a Bible trivia thing is to ask them who is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, and they'll probably think you know like well maybe Moses maybe Elijah, and then you can say no it's John the Baptist. Look right here, Jesus said he's the greatest prophet. Well, you say well he's not in the he's not um, in the Old Covenant. Well, yes, John is in the Old Covenant because the New Covenant is inaugurated in Christ. John dies prior to the inauguration of that covenant in Christ. And so you've, you've got a good answer to it. You've got a good stump the chump trivia question here. But he is the greatest prophet. But then we, we wonder, well, how is it possible that we are greater than John? It's like, you know, whatever you might say about how hard any of us are in terms of how tough we are, Man, I've spent time in, in, in the desert. I've spent time in, in tough climbs. I've done a lot of things. But one thing is, I know I'm not going to stay there. You know, that's one of the reasons I don't like camping. I don't like staying out. I like luxury. I like, I like, um, I don't like, like I don't want to be like excessive in it, but I like air conditioning. When we got here today, it was a little warm. And then we, you know, it's like now, nowadays, you know, John would be like, this is great. But we're like, hey, this is like too hot. I might sweat a little bit. I might perspire. So we're going to make sure the temperature is just right. But, but the point is, is that how is any of us greater than John? And, you know, um, I heard a good analogy recently. I don't know if some of these will will help you or not, but, um, you know, Susan B. Anthony, some of you may know who she is. She was somebody who fought for women's suffrage, which is the right to vote, not for the right for women to suffer. And I never understood that term, but it was, you know, women couldn't vote for a long time in, in human, in, in, in American history. And she fought for that, but she died 14 years before the amendment was passed where women could vote. And so in some ways, uh, Susan B. Anthony is, is a great woman in human history, but all of you women who can vote are greater than her because you actually have the privilege. You can vote. You actually have something that she could only look forward to. You have the, you have the fullness of what she can only see from afar, as it were. Now, apparently, she voted for Ulysses Grant. She was fined $100, which she never paid. But um, the whole point is that she, you, you're greater than Susan B. Anthony. And you might think, not think, well... Who am I? It's like, but you vote. This is awesome. You get to vote. And what a, what a tremendous privilege it is that we possess Christ and, and John could only herald him. He could only look forward to, and he, could, he, was, he was friends. He was a cousin of Jesus, and, and certainly he was saved by the same person, but he didn't have, he didn't live in the new covenant. He didn't live in the fullness of what we receive, what we experience. And so we are greater in that sense and not, not in some sort of rank or or, or privilege, or, or, or whatever you want to call it, but the the benefits of Christ aren't they wonderful? And and sometimes we we often um, we often don't think of how amazing it is to be a Christian, and yet 
it is a remarkable thing that we have this possession in Christ and, and that the Old Testament prophets could only foresee it. They, they longed to see these things. The Son of God incarnate, like fully revealed, his, his, his death and resurrection um, and his, his ascension and everything that we have in Christ is so much more excellent, so much better than what the, um, the prophets of the Old Covenant had. And so we are greater in that sense. And so then Christ continues in this passage. And he says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what they are like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the lute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So now when, when Jesus says that John is an awesome dude, okay, He's like stalwart. He was like the one to come. Remember what the Pharisees and the tax, I'm sorry, it's the tax collectors and sinners praised God and said, yes, we were baptized by him. Remember when John was out there, he was like baptizing and, and calling sinners to be baptized and, and sinners were coming to him. Remember we said we're all sinners, except for those who don't think that they're sinners, but Jesus is only a friend of sinners, and so was John. John was heralding, and we think, well, John seems hard, but he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, of heaven is at hand, and they're coming and preparing for the Messiah, and he's, in a st- he's kind of, as it were, in sackcloth and mourning. But the Pharisees are, like, not into this, okay? Now, what is Jesus talking about? Now, kids, look at your parents, Okay? especially you little kids, did you know that your mom and dad were once like little kids and that they had to have people change their diapers and, and they used to whine and they used to, be, they used to be like as annoying as you are. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember there was this one uh, thing I shared recently. It says, um, uh, my daughter asked me, um, what it was like to be a mom, and, and so I interrupted her every 10 seconds until she cried. And so it was like, anyway, that was, that's funny if you're a parent because you realize that that's kind of your lot in life sometimes as a parent is to deal with kind of the mom, 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 and all that other stuff. But remember, your parents, like, as, as, as wise and as, as old as they seem to you, they were little kids at one point. And they used to play games. And sometimes they didn't want to come in or they didn't wash their hands. They didn't want to take showers or whatever it is. They had to be, they, they, they did everything as kids. Well, there was, back in ancient times, kids played games too. I mean, this is not anything new. You may think you're the first generation that likes to play games. Now, they didn't have video games. They just used to play in the street which is what a lot of people did in human history, like they'd find games to play. 
And so there weren't that many, there were like, what were things that they would see people doing? They'd see weddings, which were big things back then, because you're like, you're living your life, and it's, it's not like you have a lot of ta- free time on your hand, because there's a lot of, you know, agriculture to be done, people are busy doing a lot of things, you're going to, you know, rabbi school or whatever, doing things, trying to keep your, try, trying to do everything to stay alive, and then weddings are these big things, and then, of course, funerals are big things, too. And so there are kids out in the marketplace, and they're like, hey, let's play a game. What kind of game do you want to play? Let's play wedding. Yeah, let's play wedding. I'll be the bride, and I'll be the groom. Okay, I'll be the person doing this. And then, and, or they'll say, let's play funeral. Okay, I'll lay down, and you carry me, and you pretend to cry really loud. You know, and that sort of thing. And I'll pretend to play a really sad song. And then there are kids like that when they say, let's play wedding. No, I don't want to play wedding. Say, okay, let's play funeral. No, I don't want to play funeral. Like, and so the kids are singing this song. It's like, we played a song and you wouldn't dance. And we played a funeral dirge and you wouldn't weep. It's like, nothing will make you happy. You see what I'm saying? Like, you ever had kids that just don't want to do what every other kid wants to do? They don't want to do the yes and, right? Like, we were talking about that last night. That's an inside thing. But apparently there's some sort of thing with improv where it's yes and, and Sophia and Anna were complimenting each other about how well they do that. But um, the point is, is that some kids just, when they play, and brothers and sisters run into this too. Like, my brothers always wanted to play board games. I didn't want to play board games because I thought they were boring. And so they're like, I was the guy that wouldn't sing a dirge or wouldn't dance. But in this case, the point is, is that the Pharisees and scribes, nothing makes them happy. There's this almost kind of insanity of unbelief. There's almost this childishness and whininess of unbelief. Like, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever run into some skepticism that's so ridiculous that you couldn't even prove that your parents are who they are based on the kind of standard that people set. It's like, well, unless you've got, like, it's like some people reported that this happened. It's like, well, you can't scientifically prove. It's like, well, I can't scientifically prove or describe my love for my wife. And once I start breaking it down into chemical reactions and all those other things, it's not like my wife will be like, wow, please break that down more because that's even more profound than the fact that you love me. You know, there are certain things that, like, unbelief has this kind of ridiculousness to it at times. It's almost like kids that are not willing, no matter what you do, they can't, they're not going to be happy. And in this case, the scribes and the Pharisees, when John was like, this guy's such a downer. It's like, seriously? Repent? Give me a break. Like, you've got a demon. Like, you... You, you know, you're wearing sackcloth. Can you just, like, occasionally just, like, go eat normal food? Do you have to do, like, locusts and wild? We're good. Remember, this, they, they thought themselves righteous, and so they were offended by John that he was all, like, all, like, doing the funeral dirge all the time. And then what did we remember? This isn't too long ago. Hopefully you remember some sermons. When Jesus is there receiving tax collectors and sinners, they're like, hey, guys, you know, John's disciples... They fasted. How come you guys don't fast? The same people, right? You're thinking, wait a second. Weren't these the same guys that had a problem with John? But they're like, 
using him as an example to kind of, you know, so it's kind of that whole point that no matter what you do, they're not going to be happy because Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't out there partying just because Jesus is a party kind of guy that Jesus likes to party, okay? It's the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners and he's like, He's at a wedding feast. He's rejoicing at the salvation of the lost, just as the prodigal father, the father of the prodigal, is receiving the son who is a prodigal, and he's rejoicing in that. And John would have been part of the same thing, but his mission was different in terms of the time, as it were, for weeping. But the point is, is that those who reject these things, that jo- those who reject in unbelief, are going to always have a reason why it is not um, reasonable, or it's not time, or it's just not the right, um, it's not the right tone that you're setting for God. If you would just be a little bit more, um, I don't know, uh, this or that, and like, oh, well, I don't know if I could be a Christian because those people that believe in Jesus are so mean, or whatever it is, or, or those, and there's always reasons why people are going to have, and at times you have to understand that the objections are not it's not a matter of here, it's a matter of this, this state of unbelief that creates this, because we're all slaves to sin, that's going to create reasons that are against this. But we have to remember that Christ doesn't commend this. He condemns it. And he, found, he points out that wisdom is justified by the fact that these people who everybody thought were the kind of, um, the the offcasting of society or the dregs or the scum of the earth or the ones that are coming to the Messiah, the ones who are coming to John in repentance and faith or the ones who were manipulating others, who were, who were um, uh, tax collectors, who were oppressing others and doing sinful things, those who were um, living lives of debauchery or sin, and recognize their sin. And it was the ones who were convinced through the, through the teaching that was common at the time that believed that as they kept the law in themselves, they were righteous, who rejected the idea that they too were sinners, but they considered themselves righteous, and so they were unable and unwilling to come to Christ unless something powerful happened to them. And as, as um, Christ even confesses or points out in John chapter 6, that unless the Father draw you, you cannot come to him. And so we pray for that for others. We pray for that, that for ourselves, that the preach, power of the preaching of the gospel would just drag us into the kingdom of God, that we would, we would be, that our own, own um, unbelief, that our 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 petty and our childish and our whiny objections to God in his grace would be, would be stripped away, that we would come to Christ and that we would believe in him, not because it satisfies some sort of sense of what's, um, what, what our intellectual curiosity would do is if God has to, has to live up to our expectations, but to come to the end of ourselves and see ourselves as unbelievers and un, un, unworthy of the grace of God that is being displayed to us in Christ because Christ isn't coming to these people in a way that's saying, hey, ye, believe in me, and then like, and, and, and he's some sort of mean and dour or some, some kind of mean person. He's coming to receive those who will recognize that they're sinners. 
but those who have no need for him because they don't believe that they're sinners and all they're doing is skeptical and scoffing towards him. There's nothing he can do for that. There's nothing he can do to, 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 for those who are skeptical and scoffing. He receives sinners. And we need to turn away from our skeptical and scoffing attitude towards the things of God, towards the reasons why it's not reasonable that we could come. Any objection that you can offer in terms of like the people of God, as if, as if um, hey, you know what you're going to find of the people of God? You're going to find sinners. And you know, what do sinners do? They do things that annoy you to no end. The same way your children annoy you to no end because they're, they're, they have all sorts of... Now, you, you do more than just annoy us, okay, kids? I'm not telling you that that's the only thing that you do. We really do love you. I'm, I'm saying that in, in reality. But there, there's difficulties because we're all sinners and you see that in your family, right? You're like, you know, sometimes you say, man, if they weren't my children, you know, or if it wasn't my husband or if it wasn't my brother or my sister, you almost want, you know, like there's times in your family when you're like, you, you know that if you, you didn't pick them because you, they wouldn't be your brother and sister if you got to choose them. But at the end of the day, you're never going to get away from them. And then you learn to just be with them. And then you learn to love them for who they are. And that's many times the way the church is. And if we ever use the, the, the fact that those who are in the body of Christ is a reason to say, well, I'm not getting anywhere near Christ because I've got to be around all these sinners, all these really annoying people that are just not like me and I don't like being around. Or, or whatever the reason is that we perceive um, uh, through the church that Christ is judgmental, and maybe that's true. Sometimes the church can be um, in a way like the Pharisees where they don't believe that they're unrighteous in themselves. And, and Paul reminds us all in, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25, that our hearts should be patient and kind towards those who are, who are outside of Christ because we recognize that they're blind that they need to receive sight, and so we're patient because we recognize what it is to be stumbling, and we recognize what it is to be scoffing and rude towards Christ, and that we, we, want, to be, we want to be gentle in how we remind them of, the, of what Christ is. But we just need to remember that, the, that unbelief is never reasonable. Unbelief is never something that we can somehow commend ourselves for, that, that if, we, if, if we're not believing and coming to Christ, there's nothing commendatory about that. In fact, it's ultimately, um, eternally condemnatory if we have all of, this, all of this light, all of this goodness to us, and we decide to just come up with these excuses to not believe in Christ. So I, 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 I ask you, I urge you to come to Christ, to not to, stand by, not to stand back and to be, not to scoff at Christ, not to give reasons why, well, I can't, I don't know why I should believe this stuff. It doesn't make any sense to me. Or, or you come up with a reason over here that you use to then commend some reason over here why you can't do it or just jump between opinions. No matter where Christ goes to find you, you have some reason that you can't trust in him. He is a great savior. He is worthy of all honor and glory, and he has come to earth. He has come to this earth to save sinners. And so I urge you to recognize in yourself the, the sin that can only be um, 
that can only be redeemed by Christ and to see in him the kind of Savior that's calling sinners to himself that, that was able to comfort a friend of, like John and his disciples to say, no, I am the one to come. I am the prophet who has come to heal the, the blind, to, 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 to heal the lame, to restore the dead to their, to, to their parents. And ultimately, the one who would die on a cross for our sins to usher in, to, to free us from our condemnation and to rise again, to give us eternal life and to ascend on high, to keep us, to continue to mold us, to bring us forward so that ultimately when he comes again, we will live and reign in with him forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time um, that we are able to see in you this Savior who is worthy of worship and trust. And we thank you for the, the example of a Baptist who, whether he was um, struggling with his own trust in you or his disciples were, and he was pointing you to him, ultimately, you were able to point him back to the Scriptures and we ask that you would help us to rely in like manner and to, to be resolute as John was and to be heeding the word of God wherever it is found, whether it is in a word that causes us to mourn over our sin, as John did, or one that rejoices over the salvation of sinners as Christ. But may, may we not, not be those who scoff at the kingdom or sit back as if it's something to be examined like a like some sort of theory. It's not a theory, it's a person. It's Christ. And so we either love him and believe in him or we reject him to our peril. And so help us to be the kind of people that love and obey and trust. And we ask that we would be people who are patient and kind to those who are outside the church, outside the kingdom, that we might show them the way to this great Savior, that we might show them the place where their sins can be forgiven and new life received. In Jesus' name, amen.